0: Please be seated. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to the Book of Galatians. This morning we begin a new series that will take us up uh, until Easter, or the Easter time, uh, as we uh, look at uh, this first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches. Our series is titled simply Freedom, because that is the message, the theme that runs through. And yet, Paul is very clear that freedom comes in only one way, and that is what our focus will be through, uh, through our study of this book. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote this, it was the first letter that he wrote to a group of people that he had spent some time with that he had the opportunity to share the gospel with, people who had received the gospel, people who are therefore believers. And yet they also are struggling with temptations that are really not that unlike what we have, though many of us, I think, are prone to look at Galatians, think we've learned the lesson and assume that we are somehow immune or beyond uh, the foolishness that they exhibit. In fact, Paul actually calls them fools. And yet I would suspect that the reality is we are all too susceptible to the same issues. And so this morning we begin our series our reading in verse 1 and continuing through verse 10. But before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as we come to your word, we do pray that you would bear fruit through it in accordance with your promise. For your word is living. Your Lord is alive. Your word is transforming. And as we give ourselves to it, trusting you are the ones speaking, you address our hearts and our lives and call us to yourself. Father, as we give ourselves to you, we do pray that you would bear that fruit, that we might more and more become like Christ, that you would be honored and pleased with the lives of your children. Lord, be glorified, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Galatians chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished To the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may have heard the story of the widow who was looking for company. A friend of hers suggested that she get a parrot. So she made her way down to the pet store, looked at the selection they had and with consultation with the store owner she picked her parrot and took the bird home. The next day she came back to the store and said this bird doesn't talk. And the store manager said well when you picked them up or in your cage do do you have one of these mirrors because these birds they love to look at themselves in the mirror it makes them happy and she said no I don't have one and so she purchased a mirror took it home attached it to the cage a few days later she came back and she said this bird still is not saying anything the manager said oh well Do you have a ladder? Does he have a ladder? These birds, they like to climb up and down the ladders. It's just exercise, and it gives them a lot of enjoyment. And she said, no, I don't have a ladder. And so she bought one of the ladders, and she took that home and put that in the cage. And now the bird was very happy going up and down the ladder and looking at himself while he was doing it uh, in the mirror, but he still didn't offer a peep. And so a few days later, the lady went back to the store, and said, this bird still is not talking, and the store manager said, does he have a swing? I mean, these birds love to swing, and when they swing, they, they, they like to sing while they're swinging, and maybe if you can get them singing, it'll get them talking, and so she purchased the swing. She put the swing in the cage, and the bird swung. It was swinging on his swing, and the bird would climb the ladder and look at himself all along. Seemed to be somewhat contented of a bird, but still never uttered a word. A week later, the bird died. And so frustrated, the next morning, the woman took the bird, put him in a box and took him back to the store and said to the store owner, this bird, your bird was not very healthy. This was not a very good bird. And the store owner was perplexed because the bird had been checked out and the bird was healthy and there was no, should have been no issues with the bird. So the store owner asked her and he said, I'm just curious, did the bird ever speak at all or say anything? And the woman said, well, he did. Right before he died, he said, don't they sell food at that store? Okay, it's an old joke, it's a dumb joke, but there is a point to it. <laughs> because really, in some ways, it's a picture of us in our lives. See, we are so prone to be focused on so, on so many, a variety of different things that bring us entertainment and enjoyment, that becomes the object of our attention, the focus. And yet, the absence of food, the absence of what is essential we wither and we die. And the gospel is our food. All other things that God provides bring us enjoyment, help us to understand his love for us, his, his, his glory demonstrated in the way that he provides for us. But the gospel is our food because it is the gospel alone that gives us life and this nourishes our souls. The apostle Paul was very cognizant of that in the whole book of Galatians. He is adamant about that very thing. In fact, the theme of the book of Galatians revealed in the words is this introductory words. In other words, at the very beginning, he jumps right in, and he tells them the point, and then he'll elaborate on that point all throughout the letter in practical ways. But the Apostle Paul was so adamant and so clear in his focus as he's writing to these people, these Christians who had received the gospel and now seem to be wavering in some way from it, Paul says very clearly, very flatly, there is no other gospel, that's the theme of what he brings what he continues to try to emphasize to these people for paul this is not just a doctrinal debate this is not a matter of him holding to a certain theological system and then others who differ on other points have come in and began teaching the church that paul had had invested in and had had evangelized and planted and so that he, and so sometimes we think that, and we do get caught up in secondary issues. This is not it for Paul. This is not just a doctrinal issue for Paul. This is a very personal matter, which is why he is so passionate. Now, while Acts nine tells his story, we see hints of it here in the very beginning of the, of this letter, when he says, "Paul, an apostle, not from man, not uh, for man, uh, through men." but through Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was identifying himself as somebody who had been called by God, called by the gospel, and that it had redefined and redirected his life. And he realized the implications of it. And he lived not only in the joy of it, but was called, knowing that his call was to go and to proclaim the very truth that he had been confronted with the message of the good news that Jesus Christ had given to him. And Paul is so passionate about this that as he writes, and he's so uh, enamored and so aware of the, uh, the poignancy of the gospel, that later when he was writing to the Romans, he says the gospel is the power to give life for all who are believing. In other words, it's not only the power to give life so that someone can be born into God, but it's the power of life that is sustaining us this is Paul's view of the, and the importance of the gospel. And he's writing to these people who, again, he'd spent time with, who he had loved, who had loved him, who he had shared the gospel with. And throughout this letter, it's very clear that when he had shared the gospel, they heard it. Despite their pagan backgrounds, they repented of those backgrounds. They believed the hope that is offered to them in Jesus. They became believers. And yet now there are others, now that Paul's moved on, there's others who come into the church who are teaching their Sunday school classes or perhaps preaching from their pulpits, who are teaching another gospel. And Paul addresses that issue, he's saying not that there is another. Now actually the Greek there is interesting because it's a play on words, there's two different words for other there. And so what Paul is saying in one sense, they're coming in there, they're they're teaching a, a different gospel, but there is no other gospel. So they're hearing words that are being proclaimed, but they are not embracing. There is not room for maneuvering, room for debate here. The reason it's significant to understand that these are believers, these are Christians, these are people who Paul later said, receive the Holy Spirit, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet they were still deceived as people came and were teaching them something contrary to the gospel, bringing, presenting it as if it was the essence of Christianity. And they were buying that. And the reason that it's important for us to understand is because, again, we tend to think that we are a little beyond that. We've learned that lesson. Now that we've had it, as long as we have sound and solid teaching, the history of this church has had biblical and theological teaching. But, you know, I think it's safe to say, with no due respect to my predecessors, they had Paul. You're stuck with me. And whoever's come before, they had the best. It was the most clear, the most concise, and yet still, having received the gospel through the means of the apostle, they still were entertaining other ideas, other thoughts. They were confused. Therefore, there were consequences. As we look at this particular passage this morning, I want to do so looking at a couple of questions. The first is, what is the gospel that Paul so passionate about? And the second is, how is it counterfeited? And then the third question is, what's the big deal? And it's all the more, the last question, all the more when we realize exactly what it is they were taught. And that we are prone to functionally believe. What's the big deal? Because we'll see what they were taught doesn't seem to be that much of a departure. And yet it is a significant departure. And so we'll begin with, what is the Gospel? And for those of you who are are taking notes, you might note it down this way, we'll call that the the substance of the Gospel. When we get to the point of the counterfeits, we'll call that substitutes for the Gospel. And Camper, thinking that we needed a third uh, point alliterated, said that the third question that was not true for the first service, but we'll call that the, the significance of counterfeit Gospels. So when we get there, we'll have our alliteration in place and you'll hopefully be able to figure out where I am. But right now we begin with the, the substance of the gospel. And it is something that Paul is, is so passionate about, so clear and so vivid. He says, look, I'm astonished. Thinking of the fact that these people who have heard and received the gospel are embracing something other than the gospel. He says, I'm astonished. Essentially, you could read that and say, are you kidding me? Are you serious? That's what Paul's saying. I am astonished that you are, have forsaken. And then he goes on and says something that is, is astounding. He says... Even if I come and try to teach you something different, or even if an angel from heaven comes and tries to teach you something different, it's not true. There is only one gospel. And Paul is so passionate about that that his words in some circles would be called fighting words, because he is in their face and he is accusing and he is saying there are serious, serious consequences. And so what is it that he's, he's talking about? For the sake of understanding, we'll define the gospel this morning simply as the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are the bullet points. Those are the facts that are are necessary for us to understand. And Paul actually talks about it here in this text in verses 3 and 4. Look at this. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, From this present evil age, according to will of God the Father. In other words, there's what Christ has done. He gave himself in order that we would be set free, that we would be delivered, that we would be rescued. And even in verse 1, Paul, as he's speaking, he tells us the means by which the gospel is accomplished. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through Jesus Christ, uh, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, to raise from the dead requires death. Christ gave himself, he saved us because he was willing to become like us, died in our place, and then rose, and in so doing, he set us free and rescued us. The idea here is significant, that we need to understand the whole point of being rescued. I saw a story story in the newspaper not too long ago that really gives us an idea, a sense of what Paul is talking about, that he had experienced, that the Galatians had experienced, and all of us who are here who have trusted in Jesus Christ have also experienced The story of a Marine who was between tours of duty, was in his hometown, which was a coastal town, and there was a, he was at the lake or at the beach, and he saw an eight-year-old boy who was out swimming, he got caught into a strong current undertow, and was dying, there was nobody else that saw saw him around, and so the Marine plunged himself into this strong current in order to rescue this eight-year-old boy. He was able to successfully get the boy free from the current, get him ashore, but in the process, this Marine lost his own life. He very definitely, in a very real way, gave his life in order that somebody else might live. Now think about it for a moment in the process, the thing that goes through that Marine's life, when he sees this boy who's in a current that he can't possibly break from because the current is stronger than his young body. It would have been absurd for this Marine to think, you know what that boy needs? He needs a good manual on how to swim, And so if he gets out of that, we're going to just make sure he gets swimming instruction so that he can live his life and, you know, free himself from the circumstances that he might find himself in the future. It's absolutely ridiculous. Not only because is it absurd because there's not enough time to be thinking about that, and he's not going to get free to actually have the opportunity to learn, but in his physical capacity, he's never going to be able to free himself from the strength of that particular current. What was required is for somebody else to plunge him into his own circumstance at the risk of his own life in order to identify with him, to set him free. And that's exactly what Paul says that Jesus Christ has done for all who believe. He became like us in order that he would set us free through the giving of his own life, his own death. And yet we also know that God, as Paul testifies here, also rose him, which is what give us, gives us the hope and the assurance that what he set out to do he actually was able to accomplish. That in essence is the gospel and the effect of the gospel and Paul's saying we need to remember that. There is no substitute for that. And yet we also need to realize that in this world every other religion, and as we get exposed to it, every other religion speaks to us with a different message and not only does it speak to a different message, every other religion speaks a message that resonates with our natural instinct. Without trying to diminish the philosophy of any other religion, I can summarize every other religion other than Christianity with two points. Every one of them says, here's the message, be good, don't give up. Every other religion says, be good and don't give up. Now some may wonder what's wrong with that message and my answer would be there's absolutely nothing wrong with that message. In fact, it's a message that probably ought to get proclaimed more and more as we see people not being good or people quitting. Simply because there's too much temptation, too much pressure, people too much criticism. I hope every public school teacher will teach their kids in the school. Be good. It's better than the alternative, isn't it? And then when you have frustrations and difficulties and temptations, don't quit. Don't give up just because things are hard. Continue. Make a life committed to being good. It's a message that needs to be proclaimed. There's nothing that is wrong with that. And we're all better off if people actually live by that. And, but while that message is valid and is good, That's not the message for God's people from God. God's message for God's people is very different than that. In fact, it's opposite of that. While the message of every other religion is be good, God's message to us is you're not good. And while the every other message says don't give up, try harder, God says you don't have the power, you don't have what's in you in order to succeed. A number of years ago, Jack Miller offered a phrase that has resonated with me and I've shared. I've heard Camper share it and others share it too, but it's important that we consider it. Because Jack Miller said, here's the aspect of the gospel. Here's what God says to you and me. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think. But rejoice. You are loved far more than you would ever dare dream. That's the message that Paul is speaking to these people. He's saying, this is what I taught you in the first place is, You understand your condition. You understand what Jesus has done for you. You're worse than you think, but you are loved. And somehow, you're turning to some other message, another gospel. And it's no gospel at all. Paul is very clear, and we need to be very clear, that it is belief in the good news of what God has done for us to rescue us, deliver us from ourselves and everything around us. That's what makes us Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. It is the message of the gospel. And yet, in this situation, the people began embracing something else. Counterfeits to the gospel. These false teachers had come in and began teaching subtly and yet profoundly wrong and different so now that we have considered what is the substance of the gospel now we need to look second is how was the gospel counterfeited what are the substitutes for the gospel particularly as Paul was talking about it and it's interesting if you read through what Paul is writing or if you look at history you're going to find that what the teachers here were teaching that was counterfeit gospel what Paul is so inflamed about none of them came and denied Jesus came in the flesh None of them denied Jesus died. None of them denied that Jesus rose again from the dead. None of them denied the necessity of believing that message for their salvation. What they did do is they took that message and say, okay, you have that, that's course 101, but to truly be a Christian, you need course 102 as well. And when you put them together, then you know that you're a Christian. And what they began to do was appeal to the Old Testament law and saying, okay, believing in Christ and keeping the Old Testament law, that's what's necessary. In other words, believing and being good, put those two things together, that is, that's what we want for you. That's what being a real, committed, true Christian is. And on the surface of it, again, we would say, what's the big deal? And we'll get to that in just a moment because they're not denying Christ. They probably didn't come in as jerks overwhelming the people. They came in, perhaps well-intentioned, perhaps not, perhaps with a smile. I tend to imagine them with a Houston kind of accent, smiling big, telling really corny jokes before they say anything. And they would teach something that is the gospel plus. And interestingly, Paul says there is no such thing as gospel plus. Plus. Because as he uses the word here, you've embraced another gospel. And then in verse 7 he says that there are people who have come to trouble you and they try to distort the gospel of Christ. In other words, rather than a clear focus on what God has done for us, they distorted it with bringing in other ideas that are to be added to the gospel. And the Greek word there is not even really distort. It's not a bad word because it's true. They did distort the gospel. The Greek word actually would give the idea that it's reversed the gospel. What do we mean by reversed? Well, the effect of what they were teaching, as opposed to teaching the gospel clearly and purely, was to take the things that were first of first importance and making them secondary, and taking things that were secondary and making them primary, because they were teaching about behaving, acting, keeping the law, not denying that which is primary, but they kind of said that's kind of fundamental, that's basic, it's not the ultimate issue, it's the byproduct that matters, not the product, not what, uh, not what is the power behind it. And Paul was incensed because of that subtle reversal. Now again, we tend to think that we are beyond that. We are above that. We're not that foolish, not that stupid. We're not going to fall for that. You know, in one sense, we don't. I've never, in all my years of pastoring, had anybody coming to me and in suggesting that the specific issue that they were talking about here, the issue of the false teachers, the Judaizers, which was the application of circumcision in order to be made right with God. I've never had somebody come and say, I need to get my kids circumcised. Never has happened. So we haven't fallen into the specific. But Paul's incense is not about circumcision. Paul actually says later, circumcision or non-circumcision, that's irrelevant. There's only one thing that matters, which is faith that expresses itself in love. And so it's not the issue, but they were... Paul is frustrated not just with the action of circumcision, but to the mindset that they added to the gospel, legalism. It's a counterfeit at the time. It's a counterfeit that resonates with us. I mean, it sort of made sense because they were appealing to God's law that God had given to behave in ways that are honoring to God, and so it's easy to understand why people would fall into that, and not only that, but I'm convinced that it does play to our basic nature. We have this desire to contribute something to our salvation. To know that we got what we deserve, that we earned. It just seems like that's what's just. A young man came to Augustus Toplady, the hymn writer of Rock of Ages, years ago while Toplady was pastoring. And said, don't I contribute anything to my salvation? And Toplady said, of course, you contribute your sin. That's the only thing that's yours. Everything else comes from God. And so the whole idea of legalizing or obeying the law as an additive Legalism is not taking the law too seriously. That's what we tend to think. Somebody has strong opinions about what we should do. Legalism is not taking the law too seriously. Legalism is anybody who identifies themselves or judges themselves or relates to God on the basis of their own behavior rather than on the basis of what God has done for them through the person of Jesus Christ legalism actually is not taking the law too seriously it's not taking the law seriously enough because legalists somehow have this idea that we're going to be able to keep the law and keep it perfectly in a way that God would be impressed so they take the law very lightly not realizing that the purpose of the law is to break us to drive us to the cross where we're reminded again of the only hope that we can have which is in the person of Jesus Christ and the good news that he died and rose again for us but we have legalists all over Sometimes they come in the guise of gentler forms of legalism and just moralism. In other words, moralism means just be good. And it's prevalent throughout all conservative and evangelical Christianity. And it's present in our own church and it's present in my life. When we appeal to behavior or standards that we take, sometimes even from God's standards, and say, that is what it means to be a Christian. And so whether we have somebody who is dogmatic about the practices on the Sabbath day, whether they will go out with their family or not go out with their family to eat, or whether it's somebody looking at teenage girls and saying, oh, that's an inappropriate thing to wear. You can't possibly, Christians don't do that. Christians sin. Some of them dress appropriately. Some of them don't dress appropriately, but that's another issue. We turn moralism into the message of the gospel. And then we confuse the unbelievers who are thinking, okay, what is it? Do we clean up or do we not clean up? And the fact of the matter is, since we're all prone to that, that does and will continue to show itself in our church. We just need to be aware of that. And so moralism, legalism, is one of the counterfeits to the gospel. A couple years ago, I read a book by Trevin Wax called Counterfeit Gospels, and there really isn't anything in there that, in one sense that was new. But what he did do is a great job of categorizing counterfeits to the gospel. And then, obviously, he had the one on on moralism, but he had another one, which is very prominent in our circles, but not only ours, both left-wing and right-wing churches and Christians do it. And it's not just moralism, but it's activism. When we believe that we are culture warriors, and that's what we're called to be, that that's the mark of the Christian, and that whether we are taking on noble causes, such as the abolition of abortion in our culture, which is reprehensible, we're doing away of pornography, or trying to get people. We're addressing issues that are clearly evil in this present evil age, and doing things that are certainly consistent with our faith. But the activism becomes the mark of Christianity rather than the blood of Christ. Several years ago, a man who was a leading evangelical, at least in evangelical circles, in the abortion wars, a man named Randall Terry speaking to a group of Christians, trying to get them on board with his agenda to abolish abortion. Again, a noble and an overdue agenda. Terry had the audacity to stand before these people and say the gospel is not enough. That is heresy. I can only imagine the conversation he and the Apostle Paul are going to have one day. Unless actually Randall Terry believes that. In which case... I suspect he may not meet the Apostle Paul, because apart from our identity and what Christ has done for us enough, Paul's saying it's a life or death issue, and somebody who believes that it's about the gospel and more, they may not be trusting in Christ functionally. I don't know, and I'm not suggesting that he's not, but those are his words, and it's matching to what the Apostle Paul says. And so we are involved, and we ought to be involved and engage in our community and standing for righteousness, but that is not the mark, that's the fruit of Christianity when we begin to attach it as if we must be doing those things we distort, we reverse the gospel and Paul says that's a serious, serious issue it's an amazing thing to think about, the audacity that anyone who's going to teach gospel plus whether it's the people then or us now as if somehow we're going to improve on what God has done through Jesus Christ, both in its effect and its beauty. I mean, think about it this way. If you were to have the opportunity to go to Italy, something you've always wanted to do, and you were gonna go into the Sistine Chapel because you've always wanted to see the beauty of the art of the ceiling there. And the guy behind you is wearing a painter's jumper, carrying spray paint in his hands and in his pockets. And a little ladder on his shoulder. You might be inclined to say, what's the deal? And the guy says, I was here last year, oh it's awesome, it's beautiful, but I just noticed some things that I thought could be better, and so I'm just going to go touch up what Michelangelo didn't get to. I mean, we would know the guy not only should he be arrested, but then he should be taken someplace because the guy is nuts. And yet whenever we are prone to accept any of these additions, counterfeits to the gospel, which are not simply additives, they reverse the gospel, and Paul says it's no gospel at all if it is not the pure gospel. We're nuts. And Paul is passionate, and he offers these fighting words, and he he just really seems to go into a rage because he says, I am astonished that you would do this and said, look, even if we, any of his colleagues, or an angel from heaven should come and proclaim to you a message other than the pure gospel, let him be here it says a cursed. Now imagine that for just a moment. While I'm preaching, an angel actually manifested himself and was present here and wanted to speak to us. What am I supposed to say? Um, quiet, I'm preaching. But that's exactly what Paul is saying, because unless that angel is coming to proclaim to you the good news of what God has done and the glory of what God has done through Jesus Christ, Paul says, let him be accursed. And the word there, accursed, while it certainly is valid, doesn't give due justice whatsoever whatsoever. Basically, the, word is, the Greek word is anathema. And what anathema means, let them be condemned. And when he talks about eternally, the whole concept here is that they would be condemned over and over again for all eternity. It's not a very nice thing. In fact, the real gist of it, if we were going to say it in our colloquial days, and the essence of what Paul is saying is whether it's us or whether it's an angel from heaven, if he's going to proclaim something else, he can go to hell. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I know I'm not supposed to say that in a pulpit in a PCA church, so please don't turn me in but if anybody wants to stop me from saying that, they can go to hell, but... uh, I meant somebody who's already a Christian, but they won't go to hell, and anyway. That's not the gist of our message here, but that's what Paul is saying here. He's a passionate about this issue, to the point that he's telling Christians, go to hell. I mean, it's just amazing, and so we get to our third question, what's the big deal? To which we now have my third point, brought to you by Camper Monday, um, the significance of counterfeit gospels. Paul says to us here, as we look in something that we are easy to look over, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace of Christ. You know, it's an interesting thing because sometimes our eyes can play tricks on us. We've seen something so often that we just assume we're seeing something that we're not really seeing. Because what I have a tendency to look at that and saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting it, the message that was proclaimed to you. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by his grace. In other words, he is saying that when, well, John Stott, theologian John Stott made it very clear, saying that you cannot desert the gospel without deserting God. In other words, these people The effect of it, the reason it's such a big deal, is that we, as we seek to have a relationship with God, and some of us work so hard wanting God to be pleased with us, but whenever we add our behavior, our actions, our activism, anything other than saying, wow, I'm a broken individual who has no hope other than what Jesus has done because God loved me for reasons I can't possibly fathom. When we try to relate to God in any other way, saying, okay, I believe, but now I must do these other things is saying here is we are forsaking the relationship with God. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that that necessarily means we, we, that we can lose salvation or that we're not necessarily saved because we, as the hymn says, we're all prone to wander. When we wander, we are forsaking that relationship. We're not living. We're not rejoicing. We're not benefiting from that relationship, and when we embrace any functional gospel, anything else other than the pure gospel, our relationship with God we are forsaking that relationship we're neglecting it and Paul says you who have experienced the glory of God's love being poured out upon you you've known it I'm just shocked that you would walk away from that God or worse yet think that you're approaching God on something that you're going to do whenever we try to relate to God on any other basis other than what he has done for us We are forsaking God, and that's pretty significant. But there's also another significance that Paul no doubt is concerned about because the lack of clarity not only is speaking and confusing the believers, but it's also messing with the unbelievers that they were called to reach. And the effect of that kind of a message is death and destruction. Paul is saying, he says that clearly, that apart from the gospel, you know, we're doomed. And he is so angry here because of people being led astray. Think about it in this way. You work for a pharmaceutical company, whether you're a doctor or a pharmaceutical rep, and your company has now discovered the the cure for the Ebola virus, and wants to send you to Africa in order to apply it and spread it around the most infected villages. And you go, when you go into the first village, one of the most infected that you are aware of, and you begin to share this medicine that brings the cure for this virus, And realizing you have a lot of work to do, you leave some of the medicine with others leaders who have been cured or never had the virus in the first place in order that they would apply it while you move on, village to village, so that the benefit of this medicine can bring as much healing and delivery as possible. But when you're in about the third or the fourth village, you get wind that somebody else from some other pharmaceutical company has come into that village and has some of the main ingredients to your cure, but they have some other things as well that not only counterbalance the effect of the the medication, but actually is toxic for the people. How are you going to respond about the people who are going and spreading the poison, even though it contains the same ingredients, but it's something else? That's what Paul is saying. That's the passion by which he holds the gospel, and we ought to hold the gospel as well. Because everything else just brings death. No matter how much of the ingredient of the truth of the gospel is present, when you add to it, it is not the gospel. And the effect is confusion, destruction, death. No wonder Paul is so passionate. Let me just wrap up with this. I'm going to play a word game with you. I'm going to give you two words. And I want you to, you don't have to say it out loud, but answer, which of these words best reflects your understanding of the Christian message and Christian life? The first word is do. The second word is done. Which of those reflects your understanding of the Christian life. Understand Paul says very clearly, it is done. Jesus says it is finished, meaning it is done. It's what he has done for you. That is our hope and salvation. Now, if you're here wondering if I believe or if we're teaching or if done simply means that's it and we don't do anything, you don't understand the message and the implications, but we have a whole book to go through that will help us to understand that. But done means done, and done, properly understood, leads to doing but understand this, doing never leads to done. Paul is writing a very personal letter to these people, passionate and angry because he's calling them back to the done that is the only hope and the only remedy that we have. And it is needed. A few weeks ago I had the opportunity, several from the church went to Bruton Parish where there was a reenactor proclaiming a message that George Whitfield preached there a few hundred years ago one of the first things that caught my attention is when the reenactor using an actual Whitfield message said mere moralism and not Jesus Christ is proclaimed in most of our churches and things have not changed and some of you wonder and some of you they get bored. Why? We keep coming back to the same thing. Why? is such a passion in our church, whether it's me or Camper or, or Ben or Rob or Ken, and we just keep talking about the same thing over and over and over again. We keep talking about the gospel. I've shared this illustration before, but it seems, again, it wears, bears um, repeating. Martin Luther was asked one day by a young man, why do you keep teaching justification by grace through faith alone week after week? And Martin Luther said, because you forget it week after week after week. And we are prone to forget because it's in our broken nature that while we celebrate the glory of the gospel, all it takes is a tick of the clock or the blowing of the wind, and we begin to drift. And we need to be brought back to the truth of the reality of the gospel, which is the only hope that we have. And Paul, by writing this, is saying, you have a decision to make today. Do or done what is my hope? Let me pray. Father, we give thanks to you for the word that you've given and pray that you would bless us by your grace to understand all that you have accomplished for us to set us free, that we would not put ourselves again into bondage, but living in light of the freedom you've given us, that we would also be empowered to change and to bless you and those around us. Father, let us not forsake your gift of Jesus for the sake of anything else. Bring wisdom to us that we may know when we are prone, we may know where we're prone, that we may understand the appeal of whatever counterfeit gospel draws our attention and affection, and that we would be free to repent and believe and be amazed all the more that Christ Jesus paid for this sin as well. Father, to you all praise and glory to Jesus Christ in his church.